0: the Business and Leadership Podcast with Jared Grabeal. Hey guys, welcome back to the Business and Leadership Podcast. On today's episode, I'm bringing you another short practical teaching. Uh, The title of today's episode is Five Practical Life-Changing Time Management Tips. Now, Before we get started, please do me a favor, if you've enjoyed an episode before uh, or if you enjoy this one, please make sure to scroll to the bottom of the iTunes app and leave a review. Reviews are the way that people find this podcast, uh, and it'd be awesome if you enjoy the show um, to say something nice about the episode that you liked. Also, if you think that the show will be beneficial to any friends, family members, coworkers, make sure to share it with them. That's also how people find the podcast Now that's out of the way, let's dig into the content. You know, in the digital era that we live in, where everything that we want is at the tip of our fingers, many leaders still have a major struggle when it comes to reaching our goals, and it's time management. A ton of studies and evidence show that the feeling of having enough time, which is called time affluence, is now at a record low in the United States. When a survey was done of two and a half million Americans by the Gallup organization, They found that 80% of respondents did not have enough time to do everything they wanted to do each day. This situation is so severe that it could even be described as a famine, which is basically a collective cultural failure to effectively manage our second most precious resource, and that's time. Time poverty exists all across the economic strata for both the rich and the poor, and its effects are pretty extreme. The research shows that those who feel time poor experience lower levels of happiness and they have higher levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. They experience less joy, they laugh less, they exercise less, and consequently, they're less healthy. They're recorded being less productive at work, and they're even more likely to get divorced. Time poverty is so bad that in an analysis of the Gallup survey data, Researchers found that time stress had a stronger negative effect on happiness than being unemployed. On a broader level, time poverty directly accounts for billions of dollars in productivity costs to companies each year, and secondary costs multiply that number many times over. Public health officials rank it as one of the top contributors to rising obesity, and researchers put the healthcare costs of time stress at an estimated $48 billion a year. Now, additionally, we're seeing a large income gap, the largest since we've seen since the 1920s, and worse, the largest percentage of people struggling with mental disorders like depression and anxiety, which from what we've learned so far is largely related to this time and money impoverished society that we live in. So clearly, it's a big deal. And we've got a long way to go. (laughs) The worst part is many of us through life's circumstances and the people we surround ourselves with have been conditioned to believe that we have this specific predisposed capacity and that subconsciously we have to choose free time or financial stability, that it'll always just be like this. And in my experience, most people that have money are always too busy to spend time with friends or family. And then conversely, most people that are consistently social are oftentimes complaining about being broke. So what do we do about this apparently massive problem, right? Now that I've given you all the data, the boring uh, statistics and stuff like that, how do we respond? Um, I think by first understanding that we, like many other successful people, have the ability to get in control of our time. And then we simultaneously learn to manage both time and money better. We can gain financial stability. We can take back our time and we can ultimately live happier, healthier lives. So what do we do? Here's the five realistic and practical ways I've learned to manage my time that anyone can start doing today. Number one is this. Look at time the way that we look at money. Why would we do this? Studies show that people who prioritize their time well are more likely to pursue and work in careers that they love. By working in a career you love, you're going to be happier, you're going to experience more fulfillment. You're going to make more money and you're going to contribute more to society. So how do we look at time the same way that we look at money? Here's an example. Anytime you go to spend $5 on a coffee, 150 bucks on a pair of shoes, or double the normal rent to live by the beach, for example, you normally might ask yourself, is this really worth it? And then eventually you either justify the means and you spend the money or based off the expense, you decide not to do it. So if we were to do that same thing with the way that we look at our time, if not better, we're going to get a better outcome. So how do we practically apply this to our lives? I'm just like any mature adult who should have a financial budget that's pre-planned and executed properly. We create a time budget. How do we create a time budget? It's actually more simple than creating a financial budget. The reason for that is because God gives each and every one of us 168 hours at the beginning of every week. No matter if you're rich or poor, we all get 168 hours. So what you do is you draw that out. You write 168 hours at the top of a page. Then you subtract some of your big rocks or the the big time uh, consumption items in your week. For me, number one, that's sleep. I try to sleep eight hours a night, seven days a week. That's 56 hours, right? So 168 minus 56 is 112. Now I've got 112 hours. Let's assume that I work 50 hours a week. Now I've got 62 hours left. I train about 15 hours a week in the gym. So now I've got 47 hours left. Um, I literally eat five times a day, seven times a week. And the average time it takes me to eat is 15 minutes. So when you add that up, it's like 10 hours out of the week. So because that's so much time and because most people don't recognize that as an actual time block, I pull that out. Now I've got 37 hours a week. So I might in my life uh, attribute five hours a week to socializing, hanging out with friends, going to dinner with a buddy, uh, maybe dating, whatever it is, right? So now I've got 32 hours left. And so you begin to subtract and subtract a new budget and then you can finally recognize how much free time do you actually have in the week? And if you've got a deficit, now you know you need to make some changes just like you would in your budget. Um, Or if you've got a surplus, now you can start making some plans with friends Or you can commit to things that might make you money or um, that you can learn more, or maybe you just start doing a hobby more or exercise more. So the first thing that we're going to do is look at time the way that we look at money by creating a time budget. And the second thing is we need to properly understand and apply diversification to our lives. Now, the word diversify or diversification has become somewhat of a buzzword as finance content becomes more easily accessible and attractive in popular blogs and on social media. Unfortunately, a lot of people take the idea out of context. When you diversify improperly, it'll actually cost you more time and money than it's worth, and you end up taking steps backward instead of forward. But when applied correctly, however, it can dramatically change your life over time. Here's a few examples of what I mean. Number one, I had an interview recently for a part-time position that we were hiring for and the guy had two other part-time jobs already. Now I asked if he'd be quitting one and if so, why? And he told me that he would just cut his hours at one of his existing jobs to work with us. Now the position that he was interviewing for at my company was the same amount of money per hour than his other jobs. So I didn't really understand what he meant. And I asked him why he would wanna do that. And he said to diversify his income. Now I applaud his thinking and his effort But it's extremely flawed, and it goes without saying that we didn't end up hiring him. And here's why. By cutting his hours at one place to work at another, now he has to learn another system, he has to drive to a different place, and he has to manage another work schedule, all for the same amount of pay. Now he's expending more energy to make the same amount of money. And if he were just to open up his availability at one of his two other jobs, now he has the potential to perform better, possibly get a raise, and have more job security. It didn't really make any sense and it was clear to me that he had taken the idea of diversification out of context diversification should be something that you can make money doing while you sleep rental properties e-commerce stocks these are all great examples of how to properly diversify but if you have to expend more output physically expend more energy and then you take away time from somewhere else it defeats the ultimate purpose another example is this i know a few people who have begun to invest in stocks which I'm all for, but they still have student debt and credit card debt. Now, both their student debt and their credit card debt have higher interest rates than the average rate of return on the stock market. So unless they time the market perfectly every single time, they would actually get a greater return on their money by paying down their existing debt than attempting to diversify their existing income. So once you have a better grasp on how to properly contextualize diversification and apply it to your life, You get a much stronger grip on both your time and your money. Number three, plan to be spontaneous. Now, I know this idea sounds counterintuitive, but just stay with me for a minute because it's actually pretty practical. When it comes to leisure time, the data suggests that people have a natural bias towards spontaneity. And I get it. You don't want to feel like your time is too scheduled. And I understand that. So we do things like leaving weekends up to chance. And then some of us end up wasting most of them, but we're actually much happier if we make plans and if we don't passively waste away time, at least that's what the data shows. Now, I know plenty of go with the flow people who end up doing nothing in their free time because no opportunity presents itself. Now, this point is the idea of creating an opportunity with a large window for flexibility. So you can still be relatively structured, but you can still have your time for spontaneity. Now, the reason why this is so effective is because of time slack. Slack is basically when we assume that we have more of something than we actually do. Like when we say, oh, I'll get to that next week. But next week comes and we still don't have the time. Like I mentioned earlier, we all have the same 168 hours every week. So next week we're gonna have the same 168 hours than we do this week. And the research shows that in general, people expect slack for time to be greater in the future than it is in the present. And that literally makes no sense this expectation of growth of slack in the future is more pronounced for time than it is actually for money. So how do we apply this practically, but still maintain a level of spontaneity? In my opinion, we should plan structure around our leisure time. How do we do that? How does this make any sense, right? So I recommend two things. Number one, communicate with your friends, your family, and or your spouse about your flexibility time. Some of us have really consistent schedules where we're off Saturday and Sunday. Some of us have these split shifts or we work two on, one off. So communicate with your loved ones the days that you're off on the upcoming week. That way they know when you're free so they can hit you up on your day off. And that way, when you're trying to be spontaneous, at least people open up opportunities for you to spend time with them. But if you wanna be a little more structured, you can see when they're free so you can all enjoy your free time together. Now, if you're off this weekend or next Wednesday or whatever, see if any of your people are too, so maybe you can be spontaneous together, right? And number two is plan large windows for spontaneity. Let's say Saturday is a few days away, and you know you have a few errands to run and a little bit of homework to do. You don't want to do nothing, but you also don't want to follow too much of a schedule. Put your errands and your homework on your schedule that morning, maybe from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m., then make dinner plans with a friend at 7. And then you'll have an eight-hour window between those two things to do whatever you want. This way, on Sunday or Monday, you don't look back on your weekend and feel like you've wasted your Saturday, but you still don't feel like you did too much. Now, when you get to the office on Monday or you have your first Zoom meeting, this way, you're not complaining about doing nothing fun or getting nothing done because you decided to do a little bit more strategy, but be equally as spontaneous. So the third thing is plan to be spontaneous. On to the fourth thing. Plan your eating in advance. Now, I mentioned earlier that I literally spend about 10 hours a week eating. So that's why this is so important, because I don't think people recognize how much time they truly spend on this habit. So why do we want to plan our eating in advance? Americans spend a ton of time thinking about their food, and they actually spend far less time actually eating it and enjoying it. So when a professor at a school of management in Paris surveyed 12,000 French and American adults about their dining habits... He found that on average, the French people spent significantly more time eating, and in turn, they had a much more positive association with food. Americans spent more time choosing their meals than actually enjoying them, and they had to rush through the experience of actually eating the food that they spent so much time thinking about. So it seems counterintuitive, right? We've got to make a change. So what do we do? Plan your meals like you plan your outfits. What do I mean by that? Most people, not everyone, but most people set out their clothes the night before so they don't have to think about it in the morning as they rush out the door. So we just need to plan our eating that way. Either prep and cook in advance, use a meal prep company that you can order from weekly, or simply think about your lunch tomorrow before you go to bed tonight so that way when lunchtime comes around, you already know where you're going and what you're getting. Now here's a hack if you want to eat healthier while you're at it. Order your healthy food online ahead of time for pickup this way, when you get there, your cravings don't make you change your mind. For example, for me, and I'm, I'm a health nut, but anytime I eat at Chipotle or really anything to go, I have to do it this way. Because if I go to Chipotle and order a bowl on the spot, chances are I'm going to get you know chicken rice, lettuce, and salsa like I normally would. But also I'm going to add avocado or guac. I'm probably going to add some queso. I'm going to end up adding all these sauces because I'm looking right at it and it's so hard to have the discipline on the spot versus in advance. Now, if I eat all that stuff, it's gonna make me lethargic, it's gonna slow me down for my next workout and I'm gonna regret it. So by ordering in advance and just walking in and grabbing that bag and going, I'm much more disciplined. The average American literally spends over five hours a week thinking about what they will eat, then driving to go get it. So by planning in advance, you could literally add 20 hours of free time to your month. Now, the last thing is identify what is really worth saving money or time on. What do I mean by this? A lot of examples that I used earlier, like the for the diversification, um, end up being a waste of time versus a saving time. So sometimes our bargains are actually costing us more time and money than they're worth. For example, I have friends that will uh, book a 10-hour flight for $79 and brag about getting the cheapest flight. And I will book a three-hour flight for $200 to the same place. I'll get there seven hours before them, and I get to enjoy half a day in this new location. Now, did I spend $120 more money? Yes. But was half a day on vacation worth it? Absolutely. And the flight was going to be better, right? Because a $200 flight's most of the time going to be better than an $80 one. So by choosing to invest in the the flight versus uh, saving money and losing a ton of time, I think I won out on that one. Now you've got to decide how that is for you. I prefer free time and not being on a plane for 10 hours and having two layovers. So I'm going to invest in the financial piece to save time. Right. And another example is when I was a kid and I was really broke, I would literally drive one or two or three miles further because I knew there was a gas station that had gas for two or three cents cheaper. Now, looking back, I think about that and I know that one, I wasted time and money because the gas it took to get to this further location was losing me money versus just spending two or three pennies more per gallon. Um, And of course, I would have saved time because I wouldn't have had to drive as far, right? And then I even know some people that will literally scour malls, granted this is pre COVID, looking for a deal on a shirt because they wanted to compare and contrast the cost of shirts at different stores. And for me, I want all my time. I want free time. So I'm going to go online, find that shirt, and I'm going to spend $10 or $20 more for a shirt than having to go physically to a mall and price match just so I can sp- spend 60 bucks instead of 40 bucks on a shirt, but I have far more free time to do the things that I love. So how do we apply this to our lives? Because this last one's a little nuanced. You just have to be conscious of your decisions. Always weigh the pros and cons of every purchasing decision. If it's a big decision, probably whiteboard it. Right? Put pros on the left, cons on the right. Now, if it's a small decision, you got to act fast because you remember we're trying to save time here. But either way, be decisive Um, because we're trying to manage our time better. And the last thing we want to do is perpetuate analysis paralysis. So, in conclusion, here are the five realistic and practical ways I've learned to manage my time that anyone can start doing today. Number one is look at time the way that we look at money. Number two is Properly understand and apply diversification to your life. Number three is plan to be spontaneous. Number four is plan your eating in advance. And last but not least, identify what is worth really saving money or time on. Hey, guys, thanks again for tuning in to the Business and Leadership podcast. This is another short practical teaching. Uh, Stay tuned for our next interview. And again, if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review. Please share it with a friend. Until next time, have an awesome day.